You're listening to the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast. In today's publishing landscape, you can reach fans all over the world. Query letters are a thing of the past. You don't even need a literary agent. There is nothing standing in the way of making a living from writing. Join two best-selling authors who have self-published more than 20 books between them. Now, on to the show with your hosts, Autumn Burt and Jasper Schmidt. Hello, I'm Jesper. And I'm Autumn. This is episode 147 of the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast, and we've finally arrived at our new initiative. So <laughs> once a month, we are reading a high-profile fantasy book, and then we record a podcast episode about it. So this is our critical reading of fifth season by N.K. Jemison. Yes, I'm looking forward to getting into the nitty gritty because I admit some of the aspects of this one were what kind of gave me the idea for the critical reading group when we were first talking about it. But I also don't know if listeners will be surprised at our, our I think we both have a very similar takeaway from this book. But the lit- there's some aspects of this one that are like, oh, that is so different it's amazing i see why it won a hugo award this is such a cool book and there's other aspects that well we'll get there won't we (laughs) (laughs) yes (laughs) you're already teasing it (laughs) yeah yeah well we gotta make people want to listen to like the heart of this one they should be excited yeah, I think it's I think it's going to be an interesting conversation, and of course the the idea is also here to see if we can try to draw out some things to learn uh, in terms of either these are good ideas or this kind of stuff you should probably avoid. You know that kind of thing is uh, what we're trying to to draw out of the critical reading. Exactly. And well, we'll get to it, but it's all matter of opinion, obviously. So yes, you can disagree with us. That's okay. It's just our opinions. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll get to it. Sounds good. Well, if we're gonna get to it, how are things going uh, for you over in Denmark? Yeah, well, I don't think I have waged that much to share this week. Uh, I'm just oh. attempting to finish up the first draft of book two in our new series. So a couple of chapters to go and maybe I will be done by Friday, I hope. Oh, don't tell um, me that. <laughs> yeah, that, that's my hope. Well, you should be happy about that, Autumn. I'm very happy, but I was hoping to finish the edits on book one, which always seemed to be getting pushed back ever so slightly. I'm so close. Maybe maybe the end of next week, but you're going to beat me. On the end of book two, <laughs> I will catch up eventually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I don't think I have that much other to share this week. It's just been, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it? Like... Uh, Head in the sand? No, not head in the sand. <laughs> That's not good. But in the trail, or how do you say? Head in the clouds. Head in the clouds. Uh, that was not what I was looking for. But oh, nevertheless, no. I know. I know you were at some fantasy con or something. Yes, or... I went to a Vermont fantasy and sci-fi con up in Burlington, and that was a lot of fun. I was there. There was definitely, I think, more. More than 50% sci-fi, but at the same time, it was so much fun. You would have, I thought of you several times because they had a R2-D2 that was like truly moving. You could have mistaken it for the R2-D2 from the movies. And the guy who could control it was so good. Like he didn't have to look down at the remote and the remote was so small. You didn't even really 
notice who was responsible and this little thing oh, would come cool. up to your booth and it would be talking to you and making <laughs> like this is awesome and there was nice. uh, if anyone, yeah if anyone like ghostbusters there was a gorgeous ghostbusters car and some plasma things but one of the coolest things is definitely the star wars and there was uh lead the 501st um legion for the stormtroopers some representatives there and so there's these guys walking around in four, full stormtrooper armor. And the coolest thing is that they had to go upstairs to the conference room. And I happened to be up there and I look out and I see one in the hallway and I'm pointing out to my husband. And he ran out there and got a picture just as the elevator doors were closing. It looks so Star Wars. I'm like, that is the best picture ever. So I nice. kind of want that one framed. It's just always, if you're going to take a picture of a stormtrooper, it should be in an elevator. It's just so cool. <laughs> I've always loved those uniforms, to be honest. Uh, they, they, I think I've always, also in the movies, you know, when I see them, I, they just look so cool. And and sometimes I, f- I feel like it's a shame that they're just like cannon fodder in the movies, the stormtroopers, because they look so cool. <laughs> they look so cool. It's a very cool armor. And I was actually, I mean, I've been part of the SCA, the Society for Creative Anachronism. I used to do that um, back in my 20s. Uh, and so I really enjoyed that, but I didn't know there was a 501st Legion of Stormtroopers. I'm like, dude, you can go and dress up and be a stormtrooper. Uh, that is cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I would rather be the Sith Lord, to be honest. Probably. I would want to go in as a Jedi Master, but I do come from a fantasy background. I think any fantasy uh, author should automatically get to be a Jedi or Sith Master just it's in our resume yeah. <laughs> see you you pick the good guys and i automatically pick the bad guys i you don't know do. what that tell, <laughs> tells people <laughs> well we have to balance each other's out it's the force there's balance <laughs> oh, okay okay fair enough right. <laughs> a week on the internet with the am writing fantasy podcast one last reminder here, uh, on the 28th of October, we are having our very first ever virtual masterclass. Can't wait. It's on maps. I love fantasy can't. maps. Fantasy maps, yes. And uh, if you can't make it in person, there will be a recording made available for you as well. So I, I don't know. I'm looking so much forward to just geeking out for an hour about <laughs> fantasy maps. This is going to be so awesome. It'll be almost better so, uh, than Fantasy Con. So yeah, it'll be fantastic. Yeah, we'll have a lot of fun and uh, we'll share some thoughts on map making that you might not have considered before. So whether you want to learn something or if you just want to, well, geek out with us, <laughs> we hope that you will join the masterclass. It is uh, very inexpensive and it is conducted online. So you don't need to leave your house or anything like that to attend. In fact, it's actually a really good deal because it's um, not only inexpensive, but it's a two for one. You get a second, uh, an invitation to a second masterclass as yet to be scheduled. So, you know, it's a two for one deal. It's a really good deal. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a link in the show notes and uh, you can find the registration page from there. And uh, yeah, we really hope to see you. Otherwise, it'll just be you and me, Autumn. And I think talking, <laughs> we, we can talk to ourselves about map making, but it might be slightly boring. <laughs> mm, maps are never boring. That's true. That's true. 
And on to today's topic. Okay, so while we are doing while we are doing critical reading here today, we I think we better start out by saying that the purpose here is to learn from the books that we read, not to yes. bash them or claim that anything is wrong with these book with well with this exactly. book in this case. Um, yes. And we should also say that the fifth season is a very popular book. Uh, yes. It was awarded by uh, the Hugo Award for best novel in 2016, mm-hmm. and this means that. Uh, there's a lot of people loving this novel. Oh, yeah. So everything we say is personal opinions, and we fully understand that some people will disagree with that, and uh, that's okay. Yes, exactly. And actually, I didn't realize this, but it also has won the Sputnik Award. It was nominated for a Nebula Award, and it's a World Fantasy Award for Best Novel. This this is a highly acclaimed story, so I think it'll be really interesting to look at it. But it's definitely that's why we want to learn why this is so popular, and it's okay to you know find things that you don't like about it. But that's why it's a learning experience to find maybe the core features that you love, and then you know learn from those, and maybe learn what you want to stay away from if you, especially if people are leaving reviews or comments that you agree with and you can say well then i there are readers who don't want that as well that's great and we gave plenty of warning as well leading up to this episode that we were going to do this critical reading so we are not going to be careful about spoiling anything here uh, so <laughs> if you haven't read the book and you want to i suggested you turn off the podcast now and then come back to listen to the rest once you have done the reading part so uh, yeah I might say, Um, or I think I will definitely say some spoiler stuff. (laughs) Yes, I will definitely too. And I had written down the exact same thing on my notes for today that spoilers will follow this. So if you are still reading and haven't finished or plan on reading it, we're going to ruin the book for you. So stop now and go and (laughs) finish the book and then come back and listen and see if you agree. Yeah. I think that's a good idea. So I try to divide sort of my notes into some headlines. Okay, great. Uh, So I have a headline called plotting, one called magic, and one called world building. And then I have a bunch of stuff underneath each header there. So <laughs> I don't know if we just want to start out with the plotting header and then go from there, or do you have a different preference? I- That sounds fine, though. I wanted to start with maybe a quick explanation of what the fifth season is. I don't want to do a whole blurb and synopsis. You know, we're hoping you read the book so you know what it's about. But just to set the stage, the fifth season is, you know, we have our summer, spring, winter, fall. Well, the fifth season kind of lends its name to a world-ending event, like a cataclysm, a major earthquake, something that is going to destroy civilization. So it doesn't come every year, but when it comes, it's known as the fifth season. So it's actually a very ominous title once you realize that. It is definitely so, yes. Um, okay, I... so we'll assume people have read it or otherwise go and check the book description on Amazon and uh, yes. you, can, you can see what it's about. Yes. Um, so should I just get started on the plotting stuff and then well, we can just thinking, see where it takes us? Maybe we should start almost with the way we would write books and we should start with the world building. Okay, fair enough. We can do that. Okay. Um, so I can start out with my first point here. It's it's a bit of a long one, but uh, <laughs> let me try to get through it. <laughs> sure. um, so first of all, 
this is from a world building perspective it's incredibly complex with all yes. like there's all this seismic activity that is impacting on society and we have slaves we have outcasts and yes. to some extent this book is also about people dealing with being controlled and abused and having a totalitarian regime and while i well i do enjoy the exploration of these sort of horrible things that people are willing to do to each other as soon as they don't see the other person as a human being anymore mm-hmm. but i'm still wanting it to be more personal you know i have to sort of mention I don't know if it's directly world building, but it's in here in my notes. <laughs> but but in this context, I have to mention that the, the second person present tense that uh, the N.K. Jemison uses it's it's probably the reason why the book won the Hugo Award. To be honest, because it's different and it is very well done. I mean, don't get me wrong; uh, she pulls it off very very skillfully. Um, however, none of that changes how it really puts me off. Uh, I just cannot get into the story and the characters. I don't know how you feel about that, Autumn. I agree. I had a very hard time relating to the characters, especially the main character, which we can get to later. But again, we're not giving anything away. But I wasn't sure if we were not supposed to realize that the older woman, the middle-aged, you know, the young, the motherish woman and the child were the same person but i mean as soon as like we switched between the two i knew instantly that the little girl was the same as the older woman who had just lost her son who was the same as the mother i don't know if it's because we write enough fantasy and it's like well duh or you know the idea of the goddess who's the the maid the mother the crone i mean it's it was just so obvious and so i knew the whole time that this is going to be the same person and i still never related to her but to go on your comment on the second person, I agree. That's what makes this story literary fantasy is that it switches between a third person point of view to a second person present tense. And it's amazing that it's done. And it, I didn't notice it as fast as some people who have left comments on what they thought of the story as they read along for today's podcast. So I it literally, I think I was about a quarter of the way through the book and I was like, oh, this is a total, this isn't, this is using you and this is using present tense. And this is not what was in this previous chapter, but I will say as a literary story, I think it was done very purposefully because the chapters where the second person is used are the ones where the character has just lost her son and she goes into shock and doesn't recover for days. And she doesn't really recover for the entire course of the novel because that point of view is always in second person. She is disassociated from herself and her emotions. And it works so well. The use of you makes it feel like you're separate from this character, especially compared to the chapters where it's third person. And so I think in that way, it works great. But I never bonded with her because this is the adult version. This is the present version of who she is. And all the other ones are memories, which they're past tense. Makes sense. Brilliant writing. But for character, you know, wanting to hear more about this character, um, I told you I can share it later, but I have a quote who basically her 
I grabbed a review and her title to the review are my feelings for this book are complicated leading towards negative. And I'm like, Oh, that's, I could have written this one. (laughs) And she too mentions that she couldn't bond with the main character. No, and I agree with what you said because I I also think that the the NK NK Jemison chose that point of view on purpose to oh, yeah. exactly do what you said there, like to to give you the sense that the character is disassociated. Oh, I can't even say that now; I'm too tired. <laughs> but but that's definitely the purpose of it, and it works for sure. But at the same time, you know, if you're looking at it from a immersion perspective like you Mm want to get in the body of the character you want to see and feel with them as they go through the story and get immersed inside the setting and in their lives and all that good stuff like like that's what I enjoy when reading Mm -hmm. Uh, to just you know disappear into this sort of fantasy world and, and go with the characters and that's what you get with the deep point of view we talked about that in a previous episode as well but that is what kept, keeps me fully engaged. And it just doesn't happen here because as a reader, I'm also distanced from it because yes. of the second person. And I feel like that's a real shame. Um, and I think uh, Stephen from Patreon, I, he also said something that I, I really felt like was true because he said like, quote, the point of views were a stumbling block for me at first, but I read on, thanks to you guys, with a critical eye, so that I could see what made this book tick. And then it hit me. The prose, the writing style, it was so lyrical and almost poetic in places. And I think that that hits it home for me, because I fully agree. That's also how I see it. It, it, is, not, it is more lyrical and poetic than it is storytelling in yes. many places. Yes. And for those who love that, then that's great. But I, I just can't get into the character and the story. I just feel almost like I don't care. Yeah. And that's I, a shame in my It view. is a shame. It is a shame for a book that is, I think, has such potential because the world is really interesting. And it sort of relates to what you just said about the lyrical writing. To me, the, I saw it more like poetry, but minimalized. The world is a very harsh world. The book has some really harsh things themes things that i don't usually like to think about when i'm reading fantasy it's it's dark dark fantasy to me and the magic is also hard it's hard it is basically earth magic and so you have this hard world it's described very harshly the language to me is very bare at times fractured very punctuated it reminds me very much of geology and earth and different types of rock and layers. So it's like this whole thing is designed to be this hard surface, this rocky surface that can, at times it pokes you and it's painful. And that is just, as a writer, as someone studying writing, I'm like, oh my gosh, I want to read this in, you know, a college class and I want to break it down and discuss it. But as a reader, I'm like, I didn't bond. I didn't feel it. I didn't buy book two because I didn't, have that you know warm gooeyness of oh my god i love this book it was more like i can appreciate this on a literary sense and a scene and i see why it was done kudos to you and yeah oh yeah good don't need to write like that thanks no i agree 
Uh, and I, I think I read somewhere that N.K. Jemison didn't intend for the setting to represent our world and it's like future destruction. Uh, <laughs> I could be wrong about that, but I think I read that somewhere. Um, but one of the characters do call it Earth, so oh. there is that. Um, but I, I sort of Good. quite like the reflections on real life here. You know, whatever whether the author intended it to be so or not, I don't know. But but I think it is pretty cool to think about. You know, from a climate perspective in our real world and so on. And yeah, I, I mean, it it gives sort of the real world angle and thing. And I guess that's the kind of thing that also gets awards, right? Because mm-hmm. there's more to it than just a story. Yes. Especially the end, you know, the last thing that Alabaster, the one character, mentions is, have you ever heard of a moon? And this planet that they're on, it's a supercontinent now, so it's like Pangea, but it's called the Stillness. And so it's this vast continent, and it doesn't have a moon. And suddenly, you know, the last phrase is like, mentions a moon. So is this a future Earth that has been torn apart with earthquakes and all this fracturing going on it's very interesting and i mean, over on world building too i do the the previous cultures that are there they call them the dead sieves so you see all these ruins of previous cultures and some of them sounded so technologically advanced and there's parts of mm. the book where there's a lot of description and then there's like a dead sieve in the distance and i'm like i want to know more about the ruined cities i would have been like hard hat on i am gonna go check it out but they're basically the culture is oh we don't go there they failed screw them i'm like no i love history i want to know why they failed can't you learn from previous lessons and become something better and not just wipe the canvas clean and start over and fail again so there was um that element too where maybe it is describing our current world where we're not learning from past mistakes and past things and we're repeating ourselves and this just kind of does it with civilizations yeah that that makes sense to me at least uh i i don't know if that is the intention but but it it makes sense that it's a commentary on on the real world i feel like yeah um but i don't know it it, it adds a bit more depth to it which i actually quite like Yes. And I was definitely teased by the floating obelisks, you know, pyramids. I forget how they're described. They have a couple of different ones, but these floating blocks of stone. And I couldn't believe that the, again, that there was very little curiosity about what they were, except for Alabaster trying to figure it out. And a young girl uh, in the cell, in the uh, girl's viewpoint, I, Dace, I can't remember her name, but. Her, when she's a child and she's at fulcrum learning to become uh, I can't even pronounce it originist uh, originist is what they call their magic system <laughs> I'm I not should, even gonna try <laughs> yeah I had to look up how to say it because it is a wor- real world and so I looked up and so there's this girl and she's curious but it's like two people in the entire book are curious about these giant floating things in the sky that are made out of stone and again I find it I find the lack of curiosity, which is something that is true for the whole book, and especially the main character, she's never curious. And that's sort of against who I am as a person. I thrive off of going to know what things, you know, why things are this way. And so I really think that did not help me relate to the book because there's not a single character who's like, well, why does this happen? What happened here? They don't care. (laughs) 
Yeah, and, and the other aspect of what you're saying, I feel like, is is I don't feel like there's enough at stake for the protagonist. I mean, uh-huh. yes, she is searching for her daughter, but the rest of what happens, like you're talking about the obelisk and all this kind of thing, all of that is sort of dealt with because, well, it's my job, so I'm dealing with it. Mm-hmm. But it, it's not like, I mean, I just can't help by but questioning here, if, if we're trying to learn from it, what would have happened if the author had found a way to link all of this stuff around the obelisk and all that other stuff closer to the life of the character so that it made a personal difference for the character, whether she dealt with it or not, instead of just, I'm taking care of my job. I just feel like that would be a lot more interesting. Yes, I feel like the entire plot, which you you said you have a whole section on the plot, I feel like the whole plot revolved around the search the present search for her daughter and then the how she got to where she is now which are the two past point of views where there was some really cool stuff like you know the one time the first time she bonds with an obelisk and a volcano erupts and i'm still not sure if that was her the obelisk or alabaster somehow making this volcano appear and I thought, oh, ooh, this is going to start connecting with her. And immediately, the next part, she doesn't even really ever think about them again. And then when she moves on with the present tense where she's been a, a wife and a mother in this new new town, and it begins with her losing her son, she's never even wondered about, again, anything. The obelisk, the things that I thought, like, oh, you've connected with an obelisk, and it's an alien intelligence, and it was talking to you. okay not mentioned for the next 50 chapters. I was like, oh, I want to know more about that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I do have some issues there. And, and I thought as well, um, if I just say infodumps, do you then know what I'm thinking about, Autumn? I do. I think they hit you worse, um, especially because you were listening. And I think maybe I just kind of skimmed them and didn't realize I was skimming them. But you said that there were more right. info dumps than I realized. <laughs> well, at least it feels like that to me. I mean, maybe, maybe it's just me, but I've, I was listening to the audio book version. Oh, and, I, and can I just say, if you haven't, you know, listeners, if you want to check this book out, the narrator for the audio book is freaking amazing. <laughs> she does such a good job at narrating this book, so that's definitely worth it. I can highly recommend the, the this narrator. She's so good at it. But uh, but that's a I digress. <laughs> but what I went, meant was just that I I noticed in several places how well maybe you don't notice it so much when reading and i'm speculating here but but because of the very lyrical language and she's so good at writing mm-hmm. that maybe you don't really notice that much but there are quite a lot of info dumps in my view where where you, you just get like a whole section about something that happened like in the older days or blah 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 something is like mm, yeah okay but but if if it was if i read it in a book and maybe if it if it was maybe well less written, I could put it like that, <laughs> then I would just feel like, well, put all of this conversation between characters or something so that I can, I get the, as part of the action of what's happening or characters talking about it and share it that way because it feels like sometimes there's just a whole sections about old history stuff and it's like, mm-hmm. okay, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I, 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 did, don't, I don't know. Yeah, and I noticed one of 
one of the reviews mentioned that if they had to read another description of meeting someone on the road and what they were wearing and what their hair color was that she would go and how you knew which part of the continent they were from based on these things that it just seemed too repetitive and you know, I again, I didn't really quite notice that, except I know sometimes I I would again probably just skim ahead a little bit, be like, okay, that's nice. You know, I I don't need to know all the details. So again, I don't mean to be pointing out the flaws, but I think we're just we're pointing out the difference between what's literary fantasy and what is normal, like dark fantasy, what we expect in the two genres. And this is literally sold as literary slash epic slash science fiction. So. It's it's a weird mishmash where I think it fits better actually with literary fantasy than it does with dark fantasy. Yeah, I, I do too. Because I mean, as I hinted at just a moment ago, the writing is exceptionally well done. I mean, she writes really, really beautiful. I have nothing to say against that. It's it's amazing. Um, and the world is but, like you said, it's and deep and it's out- yeah. Sorry. Yeah, but yeah, and that's what I mean. If that's what you're there for, then it's great, right? Mm-hmm. But if you're there for more like what I guess I could call commercial fiction, you meaning you're there to enjoy a story and so on, then this is not it. No. And I think part of that, part of also the not bonding and the plot feeling sort of flat that, it, you know, all these potential side plots, plots could have happened, but they don't because one, the reader, the character is not curious but it's also the character. I, what kind of character arc would you call this? I'm thinking it's either a fail or a flat arc. And because she never learns, she never grows. She's not curious at all. She doesn't change. The plot is kind of no. static. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm going to come back to that a bit uh, when I talk about the ending, but uh, I'll, I'll save that for a moment. Um, but I did have another comment from from Stephen on Patreon uh, as a last comment I have at least on my list when it comes to world building, because I think uh, he might have a good point here, but I'm curious what you think, mm. Autumn. So he says, quote, the one aspect of the world building that I didn't care for is that she made up many curse words like rust and rusting, and yet she still used several modern curse words. This is probably nitty, nitpicky, but if you make up your own, own curse words that fit the culture of your story, why use modern common curse words too? So I think he has a point, doesn't he, Autumn? I think he does. I don't know if I would have... No- I don't can't say I super noticed it. I, I noticed like when she was using rusting no, and stuff. Oh, neither. Yeah, I really... I just I like the ones that she made up because, again, it fits the world. It fits the this culture of, you know, very... Like, metal is not considered safe because it rusts. Rust is a bad thing. It leads to dead sieves. But I don't think I noticed yeah. too many modern words and what they were. And so, yeah, I think as a, you know, I would think I would appreciate them more if she, if she had stuck, left them in the world that she was, especially if this is not supposed to be a future earth where people are still saying F this. So, yeah, I, I get the point that Stephen is making, to be honest, but at the same time, I must admit sometimes you can just put in the F word. I mean, I know there is a lot of debates i've seen it many times being debated whether or not there should be an f word in a fantasy novel personally i don't have any problem with it no. but yeah i don't know i i i still get the argument mm. i 
I've used it because it fit. It was actually set in modern day Earth. But yeah, I mean, as long as it's not aimed targeted at kids, I don't have a problem with using some of our language because you they're already speaking English. So why wouldn't they have some of the same swear words? I mean, at that point, why are you not making up yeah. all the names? Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you making up every word? Just let's keep it simple. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, indeed. Um, yeah, so that was sort of my notes on the world building parts. Okay. Um, and if I just go into, let's say, well, we talked about a lot of the plotting stuff already, but what I do did want to mention as well, something very positive, because I really like how we are following three women. Oh, well, it's yeah. the same person, of course, but <laughs> but essentially there's three women here uh, in different ages. Um, but I really like that because I just don't think that there is enough fiction out there with female protagonists, uh, mm. to be honest. Uh, and I really like that. Yes, I actually, it was funny being female. I didn't even think about it, but you're right. It was nice to have that and have that point of view. And that also she was a very capable and determined woman in many ways she could take care of business she knew what she was doing she had when she was younger she was pushed around a little bit but she overcame that i guess about the only growing she does do yeah agree the thing is though as you said before it's just too easy to guess that that it's the same person uh i I also guessed it almost immediately um so but but at least i mean if we disregard the fact that maybe some people didn't guess it I, i don't know but if we disregard that for a second the fact that there is a plot twist or surprise in the story which if you didn't guess it it is it is a surprise at the end I think that is a very good idea to take away from uh, as a learning experience, you know, to try to have something that will surprise and excite readers once they get to that uh, final parts of the story and they're like, whoa, you know, that kind of thing is is great. Yes, agreed. I mean, I will be, I'd be surprised if people didn't, I guess it's hard in how you're reading it. If you truly, she does make the setting, she doesn't tie them together at all really until that kind of twist at the end where you realize it's all the same character but it she also didn't really go out of her way to make it seem too different like why they might you know hints that it was the same time so i think it was a pretty easy guess that they're the same ones so it wasn't a huge twist but it could have been it it is always good to have a twist like that but honestly i think if you did not have the second person if if all of them had been third person limited, mm-hmm. I don't think I would have guessed it. Oh, it's it's because the the second person stands out so much that I knew that it has to be linked to the other people in there, and maybe it's something to do with with different on different in different times or something. Because, I don't know. It was just so different that I knew that it had to link together somehow, and then I could just add the two and two together, and then I mm-hmm. guessed it right away, almost yeah. right. But if you had three third-person limited point of views, then I might not have guessed it, to be honest. That's interesting. I still, I think I, because I hadn't noticed the second person, at least consciously at that point. I just, again, I think it's kind of Celtic, kind of the maid, mother, and crone. As soon as it switched to a little girl, I'm like, oh, this is her as a child. I just, it, because she was mad, you know, she had the same power, 
it just seemed right to me. There was enough of the character in there as a, even a little girl that I'm like, yeah, this is the same one. So, but I think everyone would pick it up in their own path, but because the book, like you were saying is makes you think you start trying to think and solve it pretty quickly. I have to ask, how could you not notice? I mean, the, the second person, it's like it jumps right at you. I mean, it's like, oh, what is going on here? I mean, instantly. I, I mean, how can you not notice that? I don't know. I don't. I was reading it at night, and if I was just tired or it was a very good, and like I said, I first noticed that the magic being an earth magic, which I had to laugh because of how many times you've picked on me from my debut novels elemental magic i'm like here's a hugo award winner it's only earth element um but so but the harshness of the word and the language and just how everything just felt like geology and i'm a huge geology geek i mean if you like earth and granite and schist and you know these big geological terms oh my gosh read this book and geek out and no one will know you're totally geeking out over just the geology so i think i was so caught up going oh this is so cool her language is harsh the world is harsh i love how it all ties together i can't imagine the number of revisions to make it sound this way and everything ties together that i just never even noticed that it was second person <laughs> Jesus Christ, you must have been tired. It, it's, it's like <laughs> as soon as I got to to that in the audiobook, it was like I had to pause it. Like, what what is going on here? It was just so incredibly different and weird all of a sudden. And, and I and that that and that from that point on, I just couldn't get into it. Um, uh -huh. So it did. But I, I agree with with regards to the magic system. Um, just imagine, I. I I would hate to do all that research she must have been she must have done in order to pull this off and all this seismic stuff and figuring out how it all moves and oh my god there must have been a lot of research behind that magic system but it is very well done and I have to applaud her for it Absolutely. Unless she happened to be or having the family a geologist and so she was kind of geeking out on it as well. So I could see that. But yeah, you, you would definitely have to have an interest in deep earth sciences to come up with this magic yes. system and make it so... She talks about fault lines and, you know, some things can only happen here and only happen there. And probably you're not into geology yeah. and not into really cool magic. There's probably going to be times you're like, oh my gosh, please stop describing rocks to me but i loved it <laughs> you know i i too i did too i i, th I think it, it, because also i feel like it's a different magic system to what i at least maybe there's already some magic system based on seismic activity and so on but i i've just not seen it before M maybe it exists but i'm not aware but it, at least it was a different enough that i i thought it was it was very cool yeah definitely very cool and I would say, because I wanted to point out, and it's, I think one of the things that though where I fell out of the book and what lost me is that, um, is with the main character, the present tense, the second person, a son, is um, I think what lost me is, again, her arc. Her arc, I assume it's a flat arc to slightly fail, but she never learns from her mistakes, which again, that would be a grow arc, but I just, there was one point, um, what should have been the climax where I'm sure you remember it. She's on the pirate ship, you know, she's had this safe haven. She's in a really good place, but she's bored. And so she goes on a pirate ship and she is literally the one she's 
uses her magic and pokes the spear up through the boat. And she realizes once she does it that I shouldn't have made it visible because now they know there's this rogue earth magic orogeny. And so we're going to basically have to kill everyone. She's the one who realizes it. And literally the next chapter, she goes and stops an entire volcano. No one's going to notice a volcano suddenly just going away. I wanted to bang my head. And then she goes to Alabaster, the probably the most intelligent character in the whole book, the one who's really a forward thinker. And he's curious. And he, she tells him, you know, he knows that she did this. And he gets mildly like upset when she says, oh, I saw someone on the shore. And he's like, oh, we should, you know, we'll have to be careful. She quelled an entire volcano. He should have been jumping up and shaking her saying, you just gave away where we are. That was 20 miles from here. And so this leads to the death of her first son. The book starts with the death of her second son. I'm like, oh, that, that is when I think I decided I wasn't reading book two. was when I read through that climax. And I'm like, this is supposed to be the clincher for the book. And I don't care. I'm mad at the character. <laughs> yeah, I cannot disagree with that. Um, <laughs> I have some points about that ending as well but i just want to finish off one thing that steven said about the magic as well uh first so steven from patreon said quote the magic system was very unique erogeny definitely adheres to sanderson's laws of magic wherein orogeny has limits orogeny has a cost and the reader is given a clear understanding of how orogeny is in this world so that he or she as a willing suspension of disbelief. In other words, it's believable. Magic fits well into the story and it isn't used uh, always to uh, solve the problem or conflict in the story. In fact, for all intents and purposes, magic is both the problem and the solution in the fifth season. I think that sums it up very nicely. I think that does as well. And even to add to that, that the magic system has the the 10 rings, the tiers. So you even have, you know what level people are at and what they can kind of do at those levels. It's well done. I like that. Yeah. You start off as a novice and what you have to do to advance and how your, your attachment to the magic grows. Yeah. Okay. So let me get to the ending here. Uh, You touched upon some of it already. Uh, so I want to say a few other things uh, in in addition to what you already mentioned, because I feel like the ending just leaves way too many things completely open ended. You know, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily have anything against cliffhangers. I know a lot of people do, but it doesn't bother me personally that much. But please, you know, when you write a story at least give the reader a certain degree of closure. You know, just something to at least give a sense of what is going on here. You can take the Stone Eaters as an example. You know, Mm -hmm. by the end of this book, I have no idea what these Stone Eaters want or how it all sort of links together. I have no idea. And we also don't know what happened to Eson's husband and child. Um... (laughs) I, I understand that this is the first book in the series, uh, but it just left me slightly frustrated. And if I'm honest, like, you know, very honest, uh, I have to say that I I did not read like this book at all. 
I agree. The ending, especially, it felt it felt more like the first third of a novel than the first book in a series. It didn't have that book ending, and I thought it was interesting. We never, in the entire story, we hear that Isan has a daughter. I don't even. I'm sure we hear her name, but we never see her, not even in a memory. And so it's hard to feel that mother's like, she gets distracted. She goes up all over the map. You're reading about two other points of view of her that I never felt a huge bond. She's kind of just like the walking dead and, and just, this is her mission. It's her last living child. She will find her daughter, but there's no bubbling passion with that at all. And so I just kind of thought it was well really weird that we have this huge pivotal character that is the reason the woman is, you know, walking forever and what happens to her. And we don't ever see her even in a memory. And that's just seems very strange to me. Yeah. So maybe it would be fair to say that on the plus side, you have amazing world building, lyrical writing, and you also have, um, well, sort of, commentary maybe or at least there is even if it wasn't intended by the author herself but there is something you could use as least as commentary to our real world and the uh, you know real situation with climate changes and so on so so that's sort of on the plus side and i guess those things and well not on the plus side but uh, the second per- the use of second person yeah. in order to emphasize how the character feels those are sort of the things i i think is what gives you the awards because it is different and it is commentating on more than just being a story Uh, Mm -hmm. so that's why you she has won the awards i feel like yes but on the negative side to me you have a very the, the plotting doesn't it doesn't add up you know it doesn't connect well there is several times like you've mentioned things that happen where it's like it doesn't really like make logical sense why the character doesn't question this or look into this or there are several places like that Mm -hmm. um i'm also very much missing the personal stakes that we talked about as well Uh, and if you're reading it for a good immersive fantasy story then yeah that goes on the minus side as well because it does just does not succeed on this at all Yes, I agree. The the tropes, um, the things that we'd expect from commercial fiction are that make it immersive and maybe build up the passions just aren't there. But for the literary aspects, for how well it is put together and how well it all fits together in a literary sense, the writing, the magic, the world building, the use of second persons versus third person, it's amazingly well put together and it deserves the award. But if you're working on it from more of a commercial and epic or dark fantasy, it is just not as adhesive. It doesn't have what people are looking for, which is often characters. And you're just characters are what make you turn the page. And that wasn't what drove this story. And so I think that's a really important takeaway is it's the character. I wouldn't even say it's a building, but I did read some of the reviewers said that the characters were just shallow. They didn't have that depth. It always stayed kind of on the surface. And the few times you thought you saw more, sometimes it just they contradicted each other. It wasn't very solid. 
Yeah, yeah, no, I I can agree with those reviewers because that that's exactly the that's exactly the point here, right? Uh, I think everything here depends on how you look at it, right? Because mm-hmm. as a reader, what I appreciate when reading is the good story, the good characters. That's the sort of stuff that I enjoy. But of course, I also have to respect that many other people, they enjoy the other aspects that I had on the plus side just a second ago, right? I'm not mm-hmm. going to mention them once again here, but but those things that I mentioned before on the plus mm-hmm. side, some other people, they love that stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I think a lot of it, well, it is like that for any book ever yes. written. Some people love it, some people hate it. That's the way it is. Um, But I can only speak for myself. And I just, this is not the type of book I enjoy reading at all. Yeah. And I will definitely. It's a bit of a shame because honestly, when once I started reading it, I ha- because of all the awards, I actually had quite high expectations that this this was going to be awesome. And then I felt pretty disappointed, to be honest. Yeah. And I would also say that I was surprised that this one did not come with any trigger warnings in the blurb, maybe because it's an award winner. But I mean, I ha- my books are so much more mild, but I mean, this is literally sexual molestation, exploitation, the death of children. There's some really horrible, dark themes in this one that I was shocked yeah, at. That's true. And there was no trigger warning. And I was like, wow, I... I, I am shocked. I have a slightly rough sex scene and I had it, someone, a reader put a trigger warning on my book and, and I was like, don't touch this one. This one's going to really no. hurt. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I have some final remarks, but I don't know. Do, do we have more on, on your note list, Autumn? No, I think that covers pretty much everything. And like I said, there was, if you go into there, there's a review by N. Beasley. It comes up as the the highest ranked uh, critical review because 295 people have found it helpful. And it, I think it sums <laughs> up really well the, the aspects that are so interesting about this book. I mean, she gave it a, she or he gave it a two out of five stars. Just it's such an interesting, complexly written book, but it's also not what you expect if you're reading um, commercialized fantasy or science fiction. No, fully agree. Okay, so what I wanted to do to finish off off here is uh, I want to take the chance to thank Stephen for his inputs on Patreon. Um, It is just uh, so much more fun when we have people reading along with us here. And uh, of course, if you, dear listener, also want to provide input for future critical reading episodes and us sort of taking your comments into the actual podcast episode like we did for Stephen here, then just make sure to join on Patreon. And there is a link in the show notes for that. Next Monday, I will have an interview with the extremely popular and successful YouTuber, Jenna Moresi, and we'll talk about using YouTube as an author. If you like what you just heard, there's a few things you can do to support the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast. Please tell a fellow author about the show and visit us at Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review. You can also join Autumn and Jasper on Patreon.com slash AmWritingFantasy. For as little as a dollar a month, you'll get awesome rewards and keep the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast going. Stay safe out there and see you next Monday.